Hey everyone, it is Dan here once again. And once again, uh, we are not doing a regular episode of Says Who this week. Maureen is on her last week of her writing deadline for The Nine Liars, which is the official title of her new book. It's going to be coming out at the end of December, but she has to actually get it to the publisher, which needs to happen this week. So uh, we decided once again last week, I was on a big deadline. This week, she is on a big deadline. Uh, We decided once again to put a bonus episode from the Town Watch. That is our Patreon-based podcast, of which there are like 160 episodes of that. Uh, We're going to put an episode from the Town Watch up here into the main feed, and it's a topical one. It is all the way back in January of 2019, if you can even remember those before times. Uh, Our audio quality is not as good as it is now. Uh, But it is all about writing. Maureen was on a different book's writing deadline for The Vanishing Stare, and we talked about her writing process. And it seemed like with her uh, on a deadline and with the world fully upside down, maybe talking about writing is the way to go this week. So enjoy it, and we will be back for real next week. See you then. Hey, says Who Town Watch. It's a bonus bonusode for you. That's right. Are you alert? Are you ready? Are you standing guard? Are you at your posts? Good. Are you? Are you? I mean, they sh- I hope so. We're going to build a Otherwise, wall. Otherwise, says Whovia is vulnerable to raids from other podcast towns. Yeah, that's true. What if Nightvale tries to get in? Oof. And think about that. There really is another night. There is really is another podcast town. Listen, and you know what? I'm gonna. This is a secret for for bonus episode people. So I'm gonna be recording a, a Nightvale part right after this. Oh, that's fun. Mm-hmm. Because I am also a citizen of Nightvale, but I am primarily yeah. a citizen of Sisuvia. I just visit Nightvale. Do you get a visa? I have a work visa because I'm an intern there. Nice, nice. So nice. Mm-hmm. Hey, Maureen. Yep. I have a bunch of questions about writing for you. Yeah, this bonus episode is all going to be writing questions. Yeah, because I, I uh, Sesuvians have been kept abreast of this, but I, I have written something. And uh, I have realized after finishing it that I really don't know how to write a book. So I have a bunch of actual legitimate questions for you. But the one I want to start with is the one that we were just talking about before I hit record, which is you are in the process of writing the third book in your three book. Is it a three book? Is it a trilogy? It's a trilogy. Yeah. So your three book series, it started with... um, Oh my God, I'm blanking. Truly, on the truly first. devious. Truly devious. Thank you. It's literally sitting on my wife's bedside right now. Uh, and then The Vanishing Stare, which will be out in just a scant couple of weeks from when yes. we're recording. And who knows January. when this comes out? It might be out. Maybe we'll save this for the ja- week it comes out. January 22nd is when it comes out. And then there is a third book that uh, will be following The Vanishing Stare and which you are working on right now. And the question that I asked you bef- when you were like, we should just record this. And it's called um, The Hand the hand on the Wall is what it's called. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Um, so you sold this as a three book series. Is mm-hmm. that right? 
Yep. And and so and yet you're like in the process of writing the third book right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, re- I flash back to kind of this ish time last year when you were writing the second book. And, and obviously, you know, the, the first book got written. So you don't write them all at once. No. So what are you when you're approaching a publisher with a three book series? Like what are you what are you selling them on? So it's a little bit different each time. And what makes there's a very there's an element that makes this one different from all the others. So I've sold some other series, one of which was called The Shades of London, which is about a girl, an American who goes to London and it develops the ability to see ghosts and meets a secret police uh, organization. And they they deal with um, dangerous ghostly elements um, like a. Uh, Jack the Ripper figure that comes back and um, that is a more open world scenario. So when I did that, I ha- came up with the idea and then I wrote a proposal where I sketched out the world, sketched out the abilities, sketched out the characters and gave a kind of summary of here's what I'm proposing. Here's the situation I'm proposing. Here's the all of the information about the first book, the plot I'm proposing, how the mechanisms work. I had uh, all kinds of background materials in there about different elements and, and powers and ways they use tools. Um, so I prepared an entire packet, which was, I guess, 20, 25 pages long. Okay. Where I presented a world and a situation and a first book. This one is different. Uh, Partially what happened was the publisher came to me and said, we, you know, we'd like to work with you. And they really wanted a three book series. Okay. And I really wanted to do a mystery. And there's, that's what makes this different is a mystery. And I am a mystery lover. And there are mystery rules. Now, really, a mystery should be done in one book. Right. That, that's genuinely playing fair. And I wanted to play fair and also do this three book series, which meant that I had to spend a long time figuring out how you did that. Oh, okay. So mysteries are sort of a lot of math. They're kind of like long word problems. And I spent a lot of time sketching out how you could mathematically break a mystery into a series of solutions that you got on e- in each book. Right. So Truly Devious has a plot in the 1930s and a plot in the present day. And they interact because there's a 1930s cold case that the person in the present day is trying to solve. Right. She goes to the school where a man, uh, this very rich guy's wife and daughter are kidnapped. The wife is murdered. The daughter has never recovered. This is like a crime of the century. And she really wants to solve it. And in the, during that someone at her school dies and she believes it's a murder. And all of these things are interrelated. So, I had to figure out how and what the ultimate solution was. So I feel with mysteries personally that you work from the end yeah, and go and spread out to the beginning. So I created the mechanism first. So like the, the mysteries run on basically a small little engine of who did it, why, how, and then you work backwards to sort of, place clues situations get every you know and create the world the mystery world that way yeah. and then i created yeah. from the front 
back of somebody coming into the situation, being new at a school, trying to work all of these different things out, including a mystery from the past and the present. That took a lot of time. Yeah, Uh, sounds like it. I created something called a solutions folder, which gives all the answers. Did you make it look exactly like the like front of a clue envelope? I should have. Yeah. I sometimes would mess around with funny little icons on my computer, and then I realized that I was just fucking around <laughs> <Killing> missing. time. <laughs> yeah. Don't even get me started on funny icons on the computer. It's a whole, it's a whole subject with me. But uh, who did it in the 30s? Who did it in the present? Why? How? Uh, I had to create mechanisms to kill people. If you've read The Truly Devious, I tried to come up with, there's a, f- a famous um, kind of riddle with mysteries of somebody gets murdered in an empty room. How did it happen? Uh, I, it was a play on that kind of classic locker yeah. room conundrum. Because I wanted to, I'm a cl- I love a classic mystery. I read them. I take them in like I'm eating food. I've got uh, just, I... I really am that person. It's just, that's my thing. So I really wanted to make this classic mystery. So with this case, I had to have the end or at least all the solutions. So I have a bunch of stuff that has to be in book three. It just doesn't, you know, there's still a lot, the actual writing of it, the interplay of people, you learn stuff along the way because you only learn to write a book by writing the book. Totally. Uh, So is that an answer, Dan? That's totally an answer. I have a lot of other book writing questions for you. Let's do it. Well, you you mean, Dan, you've written two books. Now three. Yeah, sort of. Dan, you I, have. I mean, one book, the, the Mayor Manual book, I did not know I was writing a book until well into well into writing it, which I think actually... It's a com- lot of books. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, that's sort of like my next question, because I did just finish a draft of a novel, which I've now kind of reread and realizing like, oh, it's pretty good, but there's stuff I need to do. But like both with, uh, with Mayor Manuel, if I think about it as like, okay, I, I, from its impetus and this other novel, like both of them started with thinking about a character and like, oh, I want to play around with this character. Right. And certainly with this latest novel, like I didn't, I a lot of the fixing that needs to happen with it is um, is the first third because I was literally writing it while figuring out what I was writing, you know? And so there's just a lot of like, oh, right, I did that because I thought maybe the book would be this book, you know? Um, but like with you, do you, like, is the impetus sort of an idea? I want to write a book about X. Is it a character? I want to write a book that is, you know, where I explore this person. Is it, a, you know, is it plot driven? Like what, how do you kind of get started on stuff? With me, I get usually a kind of a concept idea of a thing that kind of catches my interest or gets stuck in my craw. Um, With the Shades of London, for instance, I was in London uh, and I was working on a book called The Last Little Blue Envelope, which was the sequel to one called 13 Little Blue Envelopes. And I was going on a tour of the Parliament buildings, Uh you know, tour group, walking tour. And I was noticing that as they were going around, they said, that's the chair that the something happens in and that's the special leather thing. And that's, this is the room where this happens. And that room is haunted and this room. And as they kept doing these tours, they would keep saying, and that's haunted. And I, (laughs) 
a lot of things were haunted. And I would say, well, why, you know, why is it, why is it haunted? And they would say something like, well, it's, it's, there's a cold, there's a chill in the room. And I would say, well, it's, it's England and this is a stone building. It's this, you know, it's, it's cool, cold here. And they would say, oh, well, there's, um, there's a, a door that just opens. And I would say, well, it does that. Otherwise, it's a wall. Um, <laughs> or they say, pen fell off a disc or stuff moved on its own. And I, 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 so it bothered me so much that that afternoon I looked through the brochure and I was like, oh, you have a ghost tour that night. I fucking, I went on the ghost tour. Yeah. Because I was like, give me, I started to get annoyed because I was like, these are shitty ghosts. So give me, maybe <laughs> could be a better ghost on this one. So I went on this ghost tour and they're like, well, this is the haunted theater. And I said, this is an alley behind the haunted theater. And they say, how? And they'd say, there's an orb of light in photos. I was like, no. You know, it's a ghost that only shows up as an orb in photos is an even worse ghost than the yeah. one that has the cold spot in the room. So I got, went through progressively worse ghosts. And it just started to fucking bother me, Dan. Like, I was like, because <laughs> I'm not a, I don't believe in ghosts anyway, but I was like, if I want, these are dumb ghosts. And so I started watching, because this was, seemed around this time, there were 9,000 ghost hunter shows. Yeah, there sure were. And I started to watch them. And again, I started Those shows to, are the worst. Yeah. But if you watch a, a shit ton of them, like I did all, I mainlined a bunch, just be like, all right, let's see a fucking ghost. So I noticed they would load in a lot of equipment. Yeah. And then night vision cameras. They'd be like, now we're going to wait until dark. And I thought, do these fucking ghosts have jobs? Are they out during (laughs) the day? Are they working at Walmart and they come home to haunt? Um, You know, they, they, they only present as as certain vibrations is it just, there's a lot of spook noises, the double, the double start spook where they're like, do you hear that? And then they would replay it to go, ching. It sounds like someone dropped, yeah, dropped something. Someone dropped something. So by this point, I'm in a frothy fervor about this, <laughs> and I was like, "This country is rich with really good stuff that you could, if you're going to bring back a ghost. These are not good ghost abilities. If you're going to bring right. back a ghost, bring back a fucking ghost." And I started to wonder what kind of person or figure would be terrible. You know, if you want a ghost. And I thought Jack the Ripper, because no one really yeah. knows who that is. There's That's a confusing case. So I started to go into all the true crime of the Jack the Ripper case and what it actually was as a case. And then I started to put the whole thing together with my love of crime and mystery with my irritation about these ghosts. <laughs> irritation goes a long way to helping <laughs> me get an idea. Um with this one, I wanted to build a, like a, a murder machine. I wanted to, and I wanted to do a country house murder, but I'm, and have a proper detective because this is a detective story, but have it BYA, which meant that boarding school was my country house. I figured out a school mechanism to turn her into a detective so right. she can be a real detective. I, like she has like, it's very difficult to make a 16-year-old a detective, so I, I built right. something so she could be one. Right. So I build the stuff around that, that is necessary to do the thing that I want. That's how I do it a lot of times. That is awesome. Irritation is, is a is a <laughs> often underrated motivator. Of- <laughs> <laughs> 
And then um, we have talked before on Says Who about the idea of first draft machines, like old school word processors where Mm -hmm. you can only see a couple of lines of text so that you're just always kind of writing forward and it's a real pain in the ass to go backwards. And Mm That is certainly how I approached this book. It was I'm part of it. I did it during NaNoWriMo. So it's just like you don't have the luxury of of time. Um, but also just I knew I knew that I had a limited amount of time to actually get the writing done because I was in a little magical window of not working. Um, is that like, do you just kind of just blah, all, you know, all forward momentum with your first drafts? usually or do you kind of revisit as you go oh god dan dan oh jesus dan dan jesus dan (laughs) yes here's the thing i'm gonna say two things because and don't say oh no to the first because the second is is rapidly coming okay (laughs) i don't know how to write a book followed by well of course i know how to write a book right i've done it sure But I also don't know how to write a book because every book you really, people always ask, this is, I think part of the reason I don't give a lot of writing advice is because I don't sort of trust writing. I love collecting it. Um, I went to, I forgot, I went to writing school. I have a degree. I have an advanced degree in it. Yeah. (laughs) There's that. I do. I have an MFA in writing. Well, well, well. I forget because I'm like, oh, someone taught me. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm totally supposed to know and I keep doing it, but I don't know how. Right. And I think it's because you figure out how to write books with each book. Not knowing how to do it is an exciting and valid part of the process because it's weird and you may change each time you do it. I am, I have never written a draft straight through, ever. I do have so I have two of those machines, those speed machines. Yeah. I use them sporadically, sometimes just okay. to, to kind of jumpstart a chapter. I have never written an order. Oh, interesting. I write completely out of order. Wow. And the, I've ne- I don't even know how to write a book in order. I, it just doesn't even make sense to me. Um, I may have a, a framework in my head of how the pieces come together, but certain scenes seem to take shape first. And that's yeah. all, I'll just do those. I'll write them. I I used to do it in the beginning in long word documents where you would just see sections, which would then be kind of stitched together and then written through again, you know, to, as they were, as they start to come together. Yeah. I use a program called Scrivener. Okay. Which is a great writing program and it's totally worth the money and it's, all, actually, all my friends who are writers use it as well. So I know, I mean, of a group of large group of novelists, I know we're all using Scrivener. Yeah. And I've been using it for years because it allows you to do little documents so you can just create scenes. Oh, okay. As a, and then it all runs together as a, so you can see it in different views. You can move them around. You can attach them. You can, uh, and that for me is great. So I can just make chapter one file, start a little bit of that. You know, just that's yeah. how I do it. Um, so that's how I do it. Um, there's a lot of panic. I tend to spend a lot of time ruminating, creating bits, thinking it yeah. through. Actual writing tends to happen very fast with me, and that's mm-hmm. a personal thing. Yeah, 
Yeah. No, I get that. I mean, I have that with articles and things that I write. There's a lot of time just kind of fucking thinking. And then when you actually sit down to write it, you've worked a lot of it out in your own brain. But that's like a thousand word articles, not, you know, a hundred thousand word books. When I actually sit down to do the work and go in, I think that my brain has two modes and an actual switch gets flipped where I'm running around, I'm cleaning the office, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. All of a sudden the the book, it's time for the book. Mm, yeah, yeah. And something chemically changes in my brain and then I just sit down and that's all that happens. So that was, can I tell you the about the end of Mayor Emanuel? Oh, yes, you can. So the last, so... We've talked about Mayor Manuel before, but a quick primer for people that don't know. Mayor Manuel was a real-time piece of Twitter fiction that I wrote over six months. And uh, it was timed to the uh, mayoral election in Chicago in in 2010? Yeah, 2010. Yeah. Um, And the character was going to depart into an alternative dimension uh, the day after the election. And... I kind of knew how the end was going to go, um, but we were eating dinner. And I'd, I'd kind of been sporadically dropping tweets throughout the day, but I knew there was going to be kind of a, you know, a grandiose ending to it all. And we were eating dinner and this thunderstorm, thunder snow started. And I just, I stood up from the dinner table and I just said, I have to finish this. And I was walking <laughs> off to the living room and it was just like, it was that switch. Like the switch just went. It was like, this is it. This is the time, you know? And uh, so, yeah, I totally get that, that switch that goes. Yeah. You just, it's, it's, it's really almost chemical where suddenly whatever the, so I, I can sit and I'm just doing it. Yeah. My, my body just allows it. And I think it's because, and I've always been like this, Dan. This is not new. This is from jump. From the jump, I've been like this. Build up, build up, build up. And then... Yeah. yeah. I don't like it. I want it to be different. I envy <laughs> all those people. They're like, well, you just do this each day. And I'm like, oh, why you go fuck yourself? Like, I don't know. That sounds great. That sounds wonderful. I would love to not work in a tooth grinding frenzy, but apparently yeah. this is what I got. And I've tried and I've been doing this now. I've been a published author for 15 years, Dan. And sure, it could change, but this seems to be it for me. <laughs> um, so I try to ride. It's like I'm a surfer and I have to sit there with my board waiting for the wave to come. And yeah. then I guess I think that's what surfers do. And then they go. Yeah. Yeah. Because then, then it gets dark and crazy. And then you just... But I think it's because you need time and concentration. I have to get to the point where I said, the rest of the world, you can burn down. I have to do this now. Right. Right. Totally. So for me. Also, most writers I know will also do that where they're like, well, I obviously, I, Dan, one time I repainted an apartment. I took out my kitchen floor by hand at 2 (laughs) a.m. with no gloves. Oh, that's good. It was, it was my shitty old story. Like the end of the, the conversation. It's, it was very much like, it was my shitty old Astoria apartment that was this huge place that I got for cheap because it was so great. And, but it was, I mean, cause it was a great space, but it was shit. Yeah. It was 
the most treacherous shit imaginable. And uh, the it, the landlord didn't care what you did to it. Also, one day it kept raining in my middle room because it would leak above. Oh, that's and, nice. And then they took out six feet of my ceiling and I saw the underside of my neighbor's bathtub sort of just dangling <laughs> oh, over <wow>. my head. <laughs> and then they repainted it. And he, so the landlord was this really dumb guy who was... And he had a friend across the street with a bucket. And I know this isn't what you asked, but his friend across the street with a bucket would come over and help him with all these tasks. And Rudy put the new ceiling up and his friend with the bucket said, Rudy, you can't paint it until the plaster's dry or else the plaster will just discolor. And Rudy's like, I know, but I'm just going to paint it now. And his friend with the bucket was like, but Rudy, if you paint it now, it's going to discolor. And Rudy's like, I'm just going to paint it now. And then Rudy painted it and then it discolored because it was still wet. And I said, Rudy... The, there's a big, the ceiling's all discolored. And he's like, yeah, well, you can't paint the plaster while it's still wet. <laughs> so I never bought the proper equipment because it was too far to go to Home Depot. So I would just put together, I was not sleeping at the time. So I would tape things to brooms. Like I would tape together brooms and rollers. And at 3 a.m., I would just turn on some music or listen to television on headphones and paint the ceiling and I would rip out the floor with by without gloves, Dan. I just ripped the fucking floor out. I was like, the floor is garbage. Wow. And I just ripped it out and I dragged it outside. It was like January. I remember this vividly, just dragging this fucking floor outside. That's how book gets written, Dan. <laughs> You must do everything. You must tear it all down till you've got nothing left. And <laughs> said, you must sit and do this book. You've, you've ripped out the floor. You've done, you're just in the corner now. You've got nothing. There's no floor to walk on. There's just, ah, oh, you're like, now I must face it. <laughs> and that's Maureen's writing advice. <laughs> all right. So I have this big sprawling thing and it's, far less of a mess than I thought, but I know that there's tweaking that needs to be done. And I don't like, I don't, it's so large. I don't know how to approach this next step, like going from first draft to like, I need to tighten this and I need to introduce, you know, the shit needs to happen. Like, I don't know what to do. What I do is I print it and I read it. Yeah. And you normally need to take a little time away from it. You need a little space just to um yeah, you just develop a little bit of space. Yeah. Then you I print it and I read it and I see what it looks like. And the reason I print it I don't know, it just works that way. Yeah. Uh, no, I read it through on my phone and I am realizing don't I do need that. to print it out. Yeah. Yeah, don't do that. You can also another thing you can do is it'll cost you maybe 30 bucks, but you send it to Staples. You have them do a print job and ring bind oh, it. Oh, and bind it. Mm -hmm. oh, I and like that. it and I get I've done that now. I get them ring bound or or with one of those flat bindings. Yeah. And then you just take it and you have to read it and then it helps you kind of digest it and then you just sit with a pen and a bunch of post-its yeah, and look at it. Um, and it, also if you just print it and put it in a ring binder, you can, although I think for some reason, psychologically the, by having it bound helps. Yeah. Yeah. I totally get, I'm, I'm totally doing that. And cause it looks like a thing and somehow your right. brain goes, oh, it's a thing. I can, I've got to read this thing. Right. It's a, right. 
And I say sometimes a ring binder because I take it apart and move the pages around physically. So I mm-hmm. would literally stack them and say, well, actually, this kind of bit belongs here. And then right. these bits I just rip. I'm like, well, actually, let's just get rid of these pages entirely. And and then you start to reassemble it in your head. Right. So having this physical copy, I find to be really helpful. I like that a lot. And then I take a bunch of notes on, okay, this is actually what's happening. Like, delete all of these. Like, this character is all wrong. So, like, let's take out all of these things. This is actually a new plot. I I typically, between the first draft and the second draft, create a new book. (laughs) (laughs) I I have a slight worry that that's where I'm heading. Oh, well, that's how I've done all my books. So, you know. They get one book and they're like, okay, this is a book. And then they know, at least I think my editors know now that they're the second time they see it, they're getting something different. Right. Right. So that's awesome. Enjoy this new book I got you. So last question, how do you know when you're done? Oh, I'm never done. Just the the timer just run out and it's got to, you know, they got to hit go on the printing press and you're like standing at the base of the printing press like throwing words at it or is it you're not even a moment where you're like this is this is complete you're not even joking you're not even joking it's like that for me um they know now they have to almost come to my house and do like a send in a sealed (laughs) team and do an extraction (laughs) exercise but also when you're um i i've been known to hide um (laughs) Uh, I asked my editor to come, uh, my agent to come and kill me each time with specifically with a brick to the point I where that she, you were, you were sending me DMS asking me to kill you uh, during well, this yeah, because she won't do too. it. And she's yeah. never done it. She eventually one time mailed me a brick um, <laughs> because she was so used to being asked it that she's, and in fact, now when I don't even have to say anything except a subject line email, this is brick. And she says, Oh good. You know, that's where we're at. So you're almost right. done. She so, knows she knows what mm-hmm. that means. Oh, it's a and I say I can't do this one. It's just and they're like, "Great, you're at that point." And I was like, "What?" Right. And they're like, "Oh, no, no, no. This is this is you, right?" And I'm like, "Well, there's just no way." And they're like, "Oh, good, good, good." So, I'm like, "Well, all you fuckers are against me." And they're like, "Fabulous. She's she's doing fine, everybody. Everything's on course." Yeah. Um, but when you have a published book, uh there are there are things that when the book is due, they really do need it in-house to do certain things. Like, um, for example, HarperCollins has a very strict copy editing schedule. Mm-hmm. So the department needs it there at a certain time. Yeah. And they have to have their their copy editing. So I've sent things that I thought were too rough into copy edit, but then basically you get another going copy edit. Got I it. mean, you're not supposed to, but, you know, <laughs> um, I do a heavy copy edit usually. But I mean, I, I don't know if I can say that. I mean, I think I did a slightly normal one. A lot of people, people have been known to completely rewrite books and copy edit. And it is oh, a, a, it's an absolute nightmare for everyone the, the pe- at the publishers. But <laughs> yeah, I, I, I absolutely, I mean, I've done heavy copy edits. I have known people that have rewritten the book and copy edit. Wow. Straight up rewritten it. Jesus. Um. Then once it comes back from, and copy editing in publishing is always... They all do it in track changes, and it's right. awful. Yeah. So you you get this thing back that has 29,000 bubbles on it, and you get a set of instructions. So usually in copy edit, you can't, you can't just take things out. 
and you can't ever cross off the bubbles. Right. All the bubbles have to remain. If you add or subtract anything, all the track change bubbles must remain where uh, they are. Uh, because then what they do when it comes back in is if they've changed something or, stead- or you steaded something, they need... So all you can do is add bubbles. You can never close one. Right. So that then someone goes in and manually examines the the copy edit bubbles and checks one off each one, each one, each one, and make sure that, uh-huh. and sometimes you goof when you're, because it's got a bazillion markings on it. Yeah. So the thing you've inserted doesn't quite insert right, like, because something up top hasn't been studied correctly. Right. So then they have to kind of go in and you get another set of queries. You usually get it back when it's all been gone through to be like, is this, and then you kind of pick through it again and clean it again. And then they'll send another set of queries about, questions on certain pages right and then you'll see it again um then it comes back in pages where if there's just dings at that point you're not really able to ch- like you can change little words or maybe cut a sentence here or there if something's you know incorrect right um i think at the most major thing you could ever do is maybe slice a paragraph or something but that would be pretty major but you're, you're basically just cleaning um once it's in pages and then once that's through then you'll get a final set of queries about as they pick through the very remainders of that, where are all these things correct? You know, page yeah. four, you said this or whatever. So each time you're kind of picking through, picking through, picking through, picking through. Um, so so then then they actually have to send it to the, you know, then they, then they pour the pages and then they send it to the printer. And right now there's a paper shortage. So oh. getting things to, like there's a, problem getting books printed right now and so um they really do need to kind of get it off to the printer and and then they can get it into the warehouse and yeah wow Mm -hmm. do you when it's done like when the book comes back Mm -hmm. from the printer finished like on shelves Mm -hmm. do you reread it right away and are you like yeah okay (laughs) Oh, I, I tell I tell a lie because I got the my got my first copy of the Vanishing Stair yesterday. Yeah. In this case, I do have to sit and reread it because I've been reading it because the third one every every detail has, has to track to connect, exactly. Yeah. So having the physical copy makes it a lot. I have had I've been working off an electronic one, but I will now sit and reread the physical copy because uh, it's just a little bit easier to track. That yeah. Way. Yeah. But normally not. Oh, that's that's painful. Yeah, that's agonizing. That's um, I would happily put needles under my fingernails before I would do that. <laughs> Why would you do that to yourself? Well, right. Uh, yeah. No. Okay. I mean, did you sit and read and immediately like let's tuck into Mayor Manual? No. No. I did because I was. I don't know if uh, I've ever read it. Oh, Dan, it's such a beautiful... I keep it on my bedside stand. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a happy yeah, go-to I mean, book. It, it's like, you know, it's sort of like people are like, you don't listen to episodes of Says Who when they come out? Like, I never do. Um, in part, because, like, I've edited them, you know? so it's. Oh, like, yeah, you've uh, been listening it. to yeah, them. I've heard uh, it uh, heard it too many times. I haven't, so I immediately do listen yeah. to it just to sort of see what we said. Yeah. Yeah, and no. then I notice that I say the word "like" too much, and uh, then that drives me insane. You know what drives I, me insane? I say "you know" so much. 
been trying really hard to not, but I don't really mm. know how to do that. <sighs> we need maybe our some of our resolutions are I will try not to say like. I lost the Philly accent, but the like remained. I say like and you know, but I just really need to get you know out. I can't even begin to think about how to deal with like, but uh, you know makes me bananas when I hear myself say it. Like. Mm. Uh, um, this is helpful to me, Maureen. I'm Do you going, think this is when helpful we're, to others? When we're, done, when we're done talking, I'm going to send my book to Staples in the hopes that it comes back before I have to get on an airplane on Wednesday. Truly, it's a good... Yeah, it's, it's a, a great g- idea. I mean, just on a purely a- on a page management issue alone. You know, mm-hmm. like I was like, okay, I'm going to print this shit out and then have all these, you know, hundred and however many loose pages that are going to go on an airplane with me. That sounds terrible. Oh, yeah. And I've carried that shit around, too. Yeah. I think there's another psychological. There's a couple psychological factors. There's one. I, you've paid some money. So right. you've made a little investment. It's not huge, but you've made a little yeah. investment in this thing where you're like, I, oh, I paid $35. And I had to go and carry a big box around. And then you've got to live with it. You've got to, you you, you can't just not look at it because it's on your computer. You've, you've got right. to, you've got to physically carry it. <laughs> it's like a flower baby. You know, you Strap have to be to responsible for it. Yeah. You, <laughs> but if you bring that and you say you take that and you don't take your phone or computer anywhere. Right. And you just go somewhere. Ideally, I, I loved if there's a, a any place where I can sit outside this is one of the reasons I have to move south, Dan, is that yeah. when I sit outside and work, I am like a thousand, I just said like, I am a thousand times more productive. Yeah. Yeah. Are, when we start the commune, are we starting it in a warm weather place? Yeah. I'm, I, we have not had a bad winter this year. Um, we ha- oh, that was a good thing for you to say. Yeah. No, but... I am also ready to not have to wonder if I'm having a bad winter or not. You know, like, so yes, we're going to start the comp- the the compound somewhere, mm. somewhere warm. You think I'm joking? I'm not joking. No, I'm, I'm not. not. Yeah, I never, I no. never have been joking. I'm ready. I mean, Austin on Lake Travis or... Um... The, the flip of a place like Austin is the summer is very hot. Hmm. We were going to do our road trip this summer. We were going to go south and then go through Austin and then all of that. And then we began to look at like, oh, it's going to be like 107 in Austin. I think we're not going to stay in Austin um, Mm. in a metal box, you know. Um, But yeah, so we got to figure it out. At the very least, we can start the compound by maybe in the summer we get a retreat spot in green Vermont or somewhere with a lake to swim yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah. If we can pull the Airstream in, we might be heading that way in the Airstream this summer anyway. Rent a little cabin Airbnb place next to a lake. I love it. Everybody's chilling, working Sounds on their good. books. Sounds you good. Know, and we have a no phone, no computer zone. Where we just write. This sounds great. We help each other. I can take care of the kids sometimes. This is, I'm in. Sign me up. It's done. It's a done deal. Always a pot of coffee on the go. Ooh, that sounds like you're peeing in coffee.
Well, you know what I'm saying. Just saying. Peaches. Just saying. It's not a great expression. Well, hopefully this has been, has this been helpful? And that's how to write a book. That There you go. Boom. It's done. 